Welcome to Even Darker. I'm so glad you're here. Thanks for joining me as I delve into my fascination of fairy tales and myths. In each episode, Jay Stinnett, Damian Drake, or Chris Gordon will tell us a story. Then I, Regina Drake, will review the points of the fairy tale I found most interesting, dark, or downright unforgivable. If possible, we will share with you the suspected origin of the tale, hence, even darker. Take heed, these stories are the original early content, not the Big Mouse version. No shade on him, but this is not for the young. For our ninth episode, I have chosen The Pied Piper. Damien suggested that I begin this segment with the story of Cocapelli. It comes from North America, our Southwest region, and it comes from the Hopi, Zuni, and other Pueblo people of origin of the North America region. The earliest petroglyph of the figure dates to about 1000 AD. And now for our story. There are many myths of the famous Cocopelli, one of which is that he traveled from village to village, bringing the changing of winter to spring, melting the snow and bringing about rain for a successful harvest. It is also said that the hunch on his back depicted the sacks of seeds and songs that he carried. Legend also has it that the flute playing also symbolized the transition of winter to spring. Cocopelli's flute is said to be heard in the spring's breeze while bringing warmth. It is also said that he was the source of human conception. Legend has it everyone in the village would sing and dance throughout the night when they heard Cocopelli play his flute. The next morning, every maiden in the village would be with child. Whatever the true meaning of Cocopelli is, he has been a source for music making and dancing and spreading joy to those around him. Even today, Cocopelli, with his hunchback and flute, is always welcome in our homes. Cocopelli is the cliff-dwelling Casanova. The mythical Cocopelli is assigned various roles. Fertility spirit, trickster, the bringer of spring, a flute player, and a hunter. Like most fertility deities, he presides over both childbirth and agriculture. He is said to be sprightly, hunchback, and a nose-flute-wielding figure. Because of his influence over sexuality, he is often depicted as an inhumanly large phallus, and he, it, is an alluring blue-green, or turquoise, Shocking. <laughs> Cocopelli's hunchback is said to be full of seeds, which are scattered during his journey, symbolizing the semen of the male to be laid to rest in the earth. He is also a trickster god. Here's a trick for you. According to the Winbago tribe, Cocopelli has a detachable penis. Are you thinking of the song I'm thinking of? <laughs> but I digress. He would detach his penis and send it down river to have his way with any of the young maidens that were bathing in the stream. 
Aren't there other names for that? And it's not Casanova. Anyway, it is thought that this part of the story was cleaned up by the influence of the Roman Catholic Church. As promised, now for even darker. The Pied Piper In 1284, while the town of Hamlin was suffering from a rat infestation, a piper dressed in multicolored clothing appeared, claiming to be a rat catcher. He promised the mayor a solution to their problem with the rats. The mayor, in turn, promised to pay him for the removal of the rats. The piper accepted and played his pipe to lure the rats into the Vaser River, where they all drowned. Despite the piper's success, the mayor reneged on his promise and refused to pay him the full sum, even going so far as to blame the piper for bringing the rats in himself in an extortion attempt. Enraged, the piper stormed out of town, vowing to return later and take revenge. On St. John and Paul's Day, while the adults were in church, the piper returned, dressed in green like a hunter and playing his pipe. In doing so, he attracted the town's children. 130 children followed him out of town into a cave, after which they were never seen again. Depending on the version, at most three children remained behind. One was lame and could not follow quickly enough. The second was deaf and therefore could not hear the music. And the last was blind and therefore unable to see where he was going. These three children informed the villagers of what had happened when they came out of the church. The earliest known record of this story is depicted in a stained glass window created for the Church of Hamlin, dated around 1300. But the church was destroyed in 1660. There is also a written record from 1384 which states it is a hundred years since our children left. The rats were added to the story around 1559, though they were absent from the earlier versions. In fact, there is a chorus book containing a Latin verse in a chronicle called The Golden Chain, written by a monk named Henrik of Hereford in 1370 and it contains an eyewitness account, which Chris will read to us now. Here follows a marvelous wonder, which transpired in the town of Hamelin in the Diocese of Minden, in the year of our Lord, 1284, on the feast of Saints John and Paul. A certain young man, thirty years of age, handsome and well-dressed, so that all who saw him admired him because of his appearance, crossed the bridges and entered the town by the west gate. He then began to play all through the town a silver pipe of the most magnificent sort. All the children who heard his pipe, in the number of 130, followed him to the east gate and out of the town to the so-called execution place, or Calvary. There they proceeded to vanish, so that no trace of them could be found. The mothers of the children ran from town to town, but they found nothing. It is written, a voice was heard from on high, and a mother was bewailing her son. And as one counts the years according to the year of our Lord, or according to the first, second, or third year of an anniversary, so do the people in Hamelin reckon the years after the departure and disappearance of their children. This report I found in an old book, and the mother of the dean, Johann von Luda, saw the children depart. 
Notice that the crime or abduction, take your pick, occurred during the feast of St. John and St. Paul. These saints were brothers and soldiers employed as eunuchs to Constantina, the daughter of the great Constantine. Julian the Apostate beheaded the brothers when the brothers wouldn't worship idols. If the Roman Catholic Church had rock stars, it would be these two. They are mentioned in Mass and always in the Litany of the Saints. Eunuchs, huh? God, I'm really hoping that isn't literal. The word Calvary is used, or Calvaria, as in children eaten alive by Calvaria or taken to Calvary. I gave it a goog and found that Jesus was crucified at the spot outside Jerusalem called Golgoloth, which in Aramaic means place of the skull while Calvary in Latin is bald head or skull. So the children were fed to a skull, I didn't know, or taken to the, so the children were taken to a skull? Hmm. In the year 1284, on the day of Saints John and Paul, on 26 June, 130 children born in Hamelin were misled by a piper clothed in many colors to Calvary, near Coppen, and lost. I was familiar with this story as the Pied Piper, but it is also known as the Pan Piper or the Rat Catcher of Hamlin. I also incorrectly assumed that Pied had to do with the Piper's instrument. Nope. It means having to do with one or more colors of the fabric of clothing that he was wearing. I found it interesting when the piper returned, he came back in all green instead of his pied outfit, right? And has anyone spoken to the ancient alien guys? There could be a connection here. Mary, hear us, for your son denies you nothing. 1284 is that year when members of both sexes languish. The year of the day, John and Paul which the 130 dear children of Hamlin swept away and not without doom. It is said that Calvary swallowed them alive. Christ, protect the guilty so that no similar evil fate overtake them. In the year 1284, on the day of John and Paul, the Hamelin lost 130 children who entered Calvary Mount. There are four theories as to what happened to the children. One, natural causes. The piper is symbolic of death, and the children either drown in the River Wesser, killed in a landslide, or an epidemic wiped them out. Two, immigration. This debunks all of it. In past times, people were referred to as the children of the town, or town children, and may have been recruited by landowners to settle in Morovia, East Prussia, or the Teutonic lands, which included Lithuania, Poland, Russia, Sweden, and parts of Germany. Another is, people of Hamlin did help settle, historically, Transylvania. Transylvania suffered Mongol invasions of Central Europe, led by two grandsons of Genghis Khan, which date from around the earliest appearance of the legend of the Piper, specifically the 13th century. 
Hamlin surnames have shown up in Polish phone books to this day. 3. Pagan-Christian Conflict The very specific date of June 26 is the Pagan Midsummer Celebration, which is held in the woods with huge bonfires. Speculation has risen that the children were led away by pagan shaman to participate in the rites or were forced into a monastery or massacred by local Christians. The fourth and final theory, get this, is a mass psychogenic illness in the form of dance mania. I'll wait till you stop laughing, <laughs> or at least I do. Outbreaks of dance mania occurred in the 13th century, including a case that happened in 1237 when children traveling 20 kilometers, which to us is 12 miles, jumped and danced the entire distance. Dance mania. In summation, the Pied Piper may have been a recruiter or a leader for a pilgrimage or a military campaign, a children's crusade, because there was a children's crusade that happened in 1212, or the darkest, the Pied Piper was a psychopathic pedophile. Hamlin, Germany holds an anniversary for the disappearance of the children. It's called Rat Catcher's Day. Someone tried to start it in the U.S., but it didn't take hold on the 26th. It did on July 22nd. I don't know why that is. And Hamlin also has a rat catcher house for tourists, which we know isn't part of the original story, but it's very popular and was built in 1602 to 1603. And now for our weekly installment of Pinocchio. Chapter 5 Pinocchio is hungry and looks for an egg to cook himself an omelette, but to his surprise the omelette flies out of the window. If the cricket's death scared Pinocchio at all, it was only a, for a very few moments. For, as the night came on, a queer, empty feeling at the pit of his stomach reminded the marionette that he had eaten nothing as yet. A boy's appetite grows very fast, and in a few moments the queer, empty feeling had become hunger. And the hunger grew bigger and bigger, until soon he was as ravenous as a bear. Poor Pinocchio ran to the fireplace where the pot was boiling and stretched out his hand to take the cover off. But to his amazement, the pot was only painted. Think how he felt. His long nose became at least two inches longer. He ran about the room, dug in all the boxes and drawers, and even looked under the bed in search of a piece of bread, hard though it might be, or a cookie or perhaps a bit of fish. A bone left by a dog would have tasted good to him, but he found nothing. And meanwhile, his hunger grew and grew. The only relief poor Pinocchio was to have was to yawn, and he certainly did yawn, such a big yawn that his mouth stretched out to the tips of his ears. Soon he became dizzy and faint. He wept and wailed to himself. The talking cricket was right. 
It was wrong of me to disobey father and to run away from home. If he were here now, I wouldn't be so hungry. Oh, how horrible it is to be hungry. Suddenly, he saw, among the sweepings in a corner, something round and white that looked very much like a hen's egg. In a jiffy, he pounced upon it. It was an egg. The marionette's joy knew no bounds. It's impossible to describe it, but you must picture it to yourself. Certain that he was dreaming, he turned the egg over and over in his hands, fondled it, kissed it, talked to it. And now, how shall I cook you? Shall I make an omelet? No, it is better to fry you in a pan. Or shall I drink you? No, the best way is to fry you in the pan. You'll taste better. No sooner said than done, he placed a little pan over a foot warmer full of hot coals. In the pan, instead of oil or butter, he poured a little water. As soon as the water started to boil, tack, he broke the eggshell. But in the place of the white and the yolk of the egg, a little yellow chick, fluffy and gay and smiling, escaped from it. Bowing politely to Pinocchio, he said to him, Many, many thanks indeed, Mr. Pinocchio, for having saved me the trouble of breaking my shell. Goodbye and good luck to you, and remember me to the family. And with those words, he spread out his wings, and darting to the open window, he flew away into space till he was out of sight. The poor marionette stood as if turned to stone, with wide eyes, open mouth, and empty halves of the eggshell in his hands. When he came to himself, he began to cry and shriek at the top of his lungs, stamping his feet on the ground and wailing all the while. The talking cricket was right. If I had not run away from home and a father were here now, I should not be dying of hunger. Oh, how horrible it is to be hungry. And as his stomach kept grumbling more than ever, and he had nothing to quiet it with, he thought of going out for a walk to the nearby village in the hope of finding some charitable person who might give him a bit of bread. Did you feel sorry for Pinocchio? Not me. I'm still pissed about Jiminy Cricket. But I did enjoy the chick, bowing politely. Goodbye and good luck. Remember me to the family. Who knew chicks were that polite? <laughs> and thank goodness... Pinocchio was too stunned or hungry to move because I would not put it past him to stuff that chick whole in his mouth. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Even Darker. Please subscribe, follow, give us a like. It's all appreciated. I want to thank Jay Stinnett and Chris Gordon for being our storytellers. Jay is writing a book, and I will post the links once it becomes available. Chris Gordon is on YouTube, and you can find his channel. It's under Denver Gamer. Please give him a look. I have written two vampire books, and those can be found on Amazon under the title of Child of Darkness, and the second book is Quincy. Even Darker is made on Anchor and can be found on Spotify, Apple, and now Google Podcasts.